0: tonight. Tonight's message is entitled Still Waters Run Deep. Last, uh, was it, Sun? can you cut this down a little bit? Uh, was it this Sunday or the Sunday before last, we took up a special offering for our uh, missionary in Thailand named Charlie Milbrot, and I explained that one of his children had been kidnapped, and some people had asked, was it one of his biological children or was it someone one of his children from his orphanage that he runs there well it was a biological child but it was his grandchild so I had that part wrong but it was his grandchild and he did do what's that guy that has that movie where he taken or something he he went looking for his kid and he and he got him back and so they've they've caught the perpetrator and uh, and so his wife is headed to that country where the child is you know they were jumping back and forth countries down there, but they found the child, and the perpetrator is in custody. And so, praise God. And we'll just keep praying that that child is in good shape. But uh, that's what prayer does. You know, it brings, brings things back home for us. All right, Psalms 23. <clears throat> I'm going to read it out of the New Living just to shake things up a little bit because we already memorized it out of the King James, Remember? Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. The last couple of weeks we talked about those that first verse. It took two weeks to, to do the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, and then last week I shall not want. We got a good shepherd, and if we'll keep our focus on him. He'll meet our needs, and we'll have no wants, you know. And it just talk, we talked a lot about being content in the Lord and the things of God and not being like the world, you know, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all those things coming in and choking out the word of God and the, tr- the things that really matter. Uh, so, so today we're going to go to verse 2. It says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Now if a shepherd leads you to green pastures, that's good. Why? Because the, uh, the sheep... Uh, That's their nourishment, you know, that's where they're going to eat. If he's taking you some some dry and weary, broken land, you know, then you're going to starve to death as a sheep. Plus, he maketh you to lie down at night on that soft blanket in that green meadow, amen? And he also leads us beside still waters. Because as as sheep, you know, we don't swim all that well. (laughs) And if we were to try to get a drink out of a raging river, we might not come back from that. So, how many of you can testify that since you've been saved, since you gave your heart to Jesus, you know, now that you know the goodness of God, that things have just gone perfect? You, know, you never got in any financial trouble since then. You, you never had any issues. This Life has been, been grand, just like they say on TV. How, how many would say that? No, no tribulation, no trials in this? Well, I'm glad nobody raised their hand to that. we'd have to do a a teaching on telling fibs, wouldn't we? (laughs) In fact, we probably, if you're like me, I face more now that I'm a Christian than I did back when I was playing on the devil's team because the devil wasn't paying me no attention back then. Now, you know, he's, he's after us, so to speak. But that's okay. That's okay. He ain't got long. And you know where he's going to end up, in the lake of fire. So it's all coming to an end. In John 16, you know, Jesus told us, Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. I like that, take heart. Live out of this right here. In other words, that's, that's where faith is born. Out of, out of the, faith is of the heart, you know, it's not of the head. Take heart when you see tribulations. Say, hey, I know what I believe right here. That's what's going to get you through. And it says, because I have overcome the world. And it's our faith in that that helps us overcome the world. So you've got to get down in the heart. Now, some of us, I think all of us could testify that we do face many trials and temptations and tests every day of, of all kinds of, of sorts. But how many would raise your hand and say, he still leads me beside the still waters. He still lets me lay down in his green pastures. Now, how is that, though? But the Bible says, you know, how is that? How can you have both? How can you say you're you're in tribulation and you're going through hard times and struggles, but yet the Lord's leading you beside still waters and laying you down in green pastures? I think just like everything God does, he does it on the inside. You see, God works things from the inside out. Your salvation was put on the inside. When you gave your heart to Jesus, he put his spirit on the inside of you. And then then it's your job to work it out, work it to the outside. And see, God gives you the peace, and he lays you down in those green pastures in your heart. And once you get a hold of that, then it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. You can be on a, a concrete slab somewhere, And you can lay down and feel like you're in that green pastures because on the inside, God has done the work. It's uh, God's nourishment and his peace. It's uh, found in the heart despite what all rages around us. And so that's that's what makes Christians different. Not that they don't endure the same temptations and trials that the world does or more, but yet they, they move on through that valley of the shadow of death because he's with us, and we know that. If anybody ever had a night that they could have stayed up worrying, it was uh, the apostle Peter, that night he was in jail. You remember? Let's turn there to Acts chapter 12, starting the first verse. Acts of the Apostles, right after John. Peter uh, is in a mess this time. He's always in a mess, isn't he? It says in verse 12, verse, um, chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, King Herod Agrippa began to perse- persecute the believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. So this is starting to be dark times for the church. Jesus, at, by this time, has gone back to heaven and they're starting the new church, you know, here on the earth. And Acts is an account of how the church began to grow and, and how it began to spread into what it is today. Well, here at that time there's a king named King Agrippa. And he began to persecute the church. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, see the Jews didn't like these new people of the way. They called them the people of the way because Jesus was the way. They, didn't, they started calling them Christians in Antioch later on. But when he saw that it pleased the Jewish people, he arrested Peter too. So if you just saw your, your, one of your best friends, one of the fellow apostles, James, killed by the sword and it pleased the people, and the same guy arrests you, what are you thinking? Not good. Then he imprisoned, imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads of four soldiers each. So that's 16 men he assigned to this one guy. Herod intended to bring Peter out for a public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him, just like we did for Charlie Milbrot. You see, sometimes we don't think that our prayers are being heard, but our prayers are so important. The night before Peter was to be on trial, he was asleep and fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Okay, let's Let's think about this. You know what happened to the last guy, Herod imprisoned. And this is the night before he's to be placed on trial. So you're thinking, tomorrow I'm going to die. you got 16 soldiers around you. Two of them are chained to you because you're that important. And you're laying in this dank, musty cell somewhere with irons on you. And you know what's coming. But Peter's asleep. Now, if you ever had a reason to stay up and worry one night this, this might be a good occasion, you know. I'd probably bit all my fingernails down by that point, you know, pull my hair out and everything else. It says others stood guard at the prison gates, suddenly. There's God, always with a suddenly. Unexpected, a suddenly. There was a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him. He had to hit, the, he had to hit Peter. The, <laughs> the bright light didn't wake Peter. Peter was, you know, he, I, I can just see him snoring logs. The bright, bright light didn't wake Peter. He has to kick him, you know, wait and hit him on the side to awaken him. Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrist, a miracle. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. I mean, this is, this is such a big miracle. He's like, I'm dreaming this, right? I'm dr- this is a dream. I'm fixing to wake up. He's probably pinching himself. When, when am I going to wake up from this? He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post. So there's two guard posts. And he came to the iron gate leading to the city. He passed two, two guard posts. The angels already got him out of the shackles. And he has to go through an iron gate. And the, this opened for him all by, them, by itself. You know, back then they didn't have hydraulic gates. <laughs> this iron gate just going. Probably would have spooked me a little bit. <laughs> so they passed through and started walking down the street. How would you like to be walking down the street with the angel of the Lord? And then the angel suddenly left him, and Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel to save me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders have planned to do with me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. These are the guys that have been praying for him. So he wanted to go straight there. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. They said, you're out of your mind. (laughs) When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel, those, those people of faith. They prayed, and then when their prayers came true, what happened? They didn't even believe it. I thought you had to have faith for your prayers to come true. See, that's what's been taught, that your prayers don't matter unless you you have some kind of human effort into it. You've got to work up some kind of faith. And, And it's caused many of us just to stop praying because... Sometimes you just, you pray, and you're not even thinking about what you pray, but you still got to pray. We, we pray. These people were together, and they prayed for Peter out of a heart of compassion. Maybe they didn't have faith to actually receive it, but they still prayed it, and it came to pass. I don't know if that's knocking over any sacred cows in this word of faith, church, but they did pray, and they wasn't really expecting it, and they did receive it. <clears throat> Proverbs three twenty four says, when thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Boy, I learned that scripture early on as a Christian because there was many nights that I would sit up, like I didn't know at the time that, you know, caffeine and stuff would keep you up all night. I'd drink a tea, you know, late at night. Eventually I switched to decaffeinated, but you know, there'd be many nights I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs at 3 o'clock in the morning. Or, or I had worry on me, or cares and stuff. But when I became a Christian, man, I found that verse. And I can't tell you how many times when I'm tempted to worry, I said, you know what? I'm just going to bed and put it in God's hands. I don't know, maybe Peter had remembered how Jesus slept in the boat during that storm. You remember? Everybody else was freaking out. Don't you care that we're going to die? Wake up, Jesus. He's like, man, I'm trying to get me some sleep over here. I told you he was going to the other side. What are y'all worried about? And maybe Peter remembered that, you know. Uh, Later, Peter would write in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your care upon Jesus, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, sinking whom he may devour whom you resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, you're not going through anything that somebody else hadn't gone through. But you've got to be sober, be vigilant in prayer, and just keep your eyes open and, and walk in faith. I'm not saying we shouldn't have faith, but I'm saying don't stop praying until you get faith. You, you pray, you receive things, and that builds your faith. You, you don't wait till you got it all together to begin to do something in the kingdom of God. God can't steer a parked car you got to get those wheels rolling before you can get it into a, into motion so pray whether you have faith or not and then the faith will come but uh I guess Peter had seen too, Jesus calm too many storms to be worried about this one even though he was lying there between, behind two gates two post sentries in an iron gate and And 16 soldiers with shackles on. He had a reason to stay up worrying, but he didn't. By this time, he's starting to learn, hey, I can lie down in green pastures. And my heart can be still. That's important. That's part of growing up in your faith and really starting to believe what you say you believe. We quote all these scriptures, you know, about how the peace of God, passeth all understanding, and all these scriptures, and we, we throw them out there. But it, it's, it's really, there's no shortcut. It's in your relationship that you really begin to live this stuff out. You guys are you know, probably the more mature Christians in the church, and you know what I'm talking about. You could testify if new people came in here, they would be excited about the Word of God, and they would try their best to believe it. But until they've experienced it, it's just not going to be the same. But the good news is, if they'll stick with God, they will experience the things that God wants them, and He will mature them. Uh, I've told, you know, I'll keep telling stories I've told before. I guess I'll have to do that until I make up some new ones. But my, I told the story before about my brother. Me, me and him used to work at Power and Telephone Supply in Memphis, and he called me into the to the conference room one day, and uh, just out of the blue, he said, "My doctor just called me, and I ain't even told my wife yet." but I have lung cancer. And uh, that was a shock because he was 40 years old at the time and never smoked. And that was just like the farthest thing from our mind. And, uh, but both of us were strong Christians at the time, and, and so we knew kind of what to do. Let's pray about this. Let's, we're going to we're gonna have to believe God. You know, we had never faced anything quite so big, but we, we sat there in that conference room. We began to pray, Uh, Philippians 4, 6 comes to mind. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry. Pray. Don't worry. Be happy. (laughs) Don't worry. Pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Just tell him and then begin to thank him. That's what faith does, isn't it? It doesn't wait to see the results to thank God. It, It calls those things which be not as though they were like God did. And then uh, begin to thank him for it before you can get the results. And that's that's faith in action. It's go ahead and, and rejoice rejoicing on this side of the issue. And we, we begin to do that. We begin to say, God, you're big enough to take care of lung cancer. We know there's no there's no problem for you, God. You created Heath. You're his manufacturer. You got the spare parts up in heaven. We know that you can fix this. And so we, we begin to rejoice and then it says in verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, I can't say we were, I, I didn't pull that verse out, and we didn't pray that verse, but it really describes what happened in that conference room that day. We just encouraged one another in the Lord. Of course, it's easier on me. I'm not the one with lung cancer and just found out. But I was so proud of my brother. I mean, he just stood strong, trusting in the Lord. uh and his, his family was doing well. And about two weeks later, he's, he goes for another CT scan. And uh, I was just about to leave work. He was at the doctor, and his wife called me just before I left the office. And she was hysterical. Not hysterical, but I could tell something was wrong. She said, can you come down here right away? And she said, whatever hospital. I can't remember which hospital it was right now. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, what's wrong? He says, they said he's got a brain tumor. And I, I'm going to be honest. I unraveled about that point. I mean, that really, I mean, what comes to your mind when somebody's got lung cancer and now they're saying he's got a brain tumor? That's a death sentence. That guy's eat up with cancer. He, it's too late for him. Man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, I'm on my way. And I left and I went and got in the car and I cranked it and I was driving down the street and I realized I didn't, in, in this state of mind that I was in, I couldn't think. And I, I said, What hospital is that? And I remembered the hospital, but I couldn't remember where it was at. My mind was just racing, and I just had to pull off on the side of the road because I couldn't remember which direction to go. A grown man can't think for himself. I'm like, get a hold of yourself. And I started trying to call on the phone, you know, and I couldn't get the phone to dial, and I finally got uh, Angie's number, and she wasn't answering. I called Kaylee, and she wasn't answering. Somebody tell me where this hospital is, and I'm starting to get mad and upset and want to scream and just have a freak out. And uh, I said, I just began to pray in the Spirit. Just began to pray in the Spirit. All of a sudden, okay, calm down. And I remembered where this hospital was. And so I drove straight there, and I got there. And uh, they, she met me at the front, and she walked me back to the room where he was sitting in there, and he was sitting up. And uh, I came in there, and I said, I don't know what I said, but it was like, wow. And we went in there. And I said, let's pray, you know. And we just began to pray. And uh, I remember saying, Father God, we believed you in that conference room that you were bigger than lung cancer. And you're certainly bigger than a brain tumor. And it ain't like, th- you know, this is any extra for you. If you can heal lung cancer, you can heal a brain tumor. So, it's, you know, it really it doesn't matter one way or another. We need your intervention. And so we prayed that, and we uh Just sat there and suddenly, I've never been in a room where there should have been just more weeping and crying and and just pulling out your hair. There was such a peace in that room, I can't describe it. We just began to talk about stories when we was growing up and we were waiting, I don't know what we were waiting on, the doctor to come back about something. We started telling stories and stuff, next thing you know we're giggling and laughing. This man has a brain tumor. He's sitting there telling hunting stories. Now, that's the peace of God. He's not moping and, and oh, woe is me. I couldn't believe. I was so proud of him. But, but it, was, it was the peace in the room that we couldn't understand. And uh, there was people that, that had gotten the news that she had told, you know, and they come running in, and you could tell on their face that they're waiting. It's, this is a death sentence, and they're just like coming in. They don't know how to respond, you know. I'm <laughs> so sorry. I'm so sorry. And we were like, Heath was like, come over here. You remember that time we was down there at the 40 acres over so-and-so? He said he shot that deer. You know? And he was just, and the people were like, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and by the time they would leave, they were laughing and giggling. And he cheered up everybody that came into that room. <laughs> That's got to be God, don't you think? In Jude 20 and 21, it says, But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. See, we have a responsibility to stay under the shadow of the Almighty. To be safe in God's love. We must build ourselves up. The things of God are obtained through faith. We must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we must be building our faith all the time so that we can believe for the promises of God when we need them. Of course, that was four years ago now. And he's still going strong. He had that brain tumor removed. Three days later he came over to my house and shot Poole after having, after getting out of the hospital for brain surgery. Then later on, they hit him with radiation, gave him a chemo, chemo pill and all that that stuff. and uh, he did great on that, and actually the the tumor uh, stuff in his lungs, the cancer in his lungs, was really just dead by the time they hit radiation, but they still wanted to be careful. So they opened him up and, and cut out one of the lobes of his lung just to get it out of there. And uh, then for the last two or three years, he's been cancer-free, <laughs> where everybody, you know, thought it was a death sentence. And then lately, he had some growing on the other lung. Something was trying to come back, a new uh, mutation, is it? And so he had recently had to have uh, some removed on his other lung. But now he's out of the hospital again. He's had two lobes of his lungs removed. You only have five. But he's <laughs> he's back at work shooting basketball the other day. So... Yeah, in this life, we go through trials and tribulations, but we've we got to fight the good fight of faith. You just keep going. You keep believing. Every moment is precious. You know, all this life, I keep telling you all, this is just uh, a test. You know, if you've got eternal life and you lose this one early or whatever, you just move on into the next one. So you're, you'll be fine. It's just a matter of how do we respond to the situation that we've been challenged with. Because what you do here matters in all of eternity, doesn't it? You get rewarded according to the works that you do in the flesh. What about Daniel in the lion's den? Let's go ahead and <coughs> turn to Daniel 6. Whew. Once again, I reiterate, for those of you who haven't been to the zoo lately, have you ever seen a lion up close? <laughs> they scare, They scare me, a grown man. All right, Daniel 6:16. 6, the king here, he uh, was kind of egotistical and, and Daniel's enemies knew that Daniel wouldn't stop praying, so they asked the king to make a rule that that nobody should pray to any any god other than the king for 3 months. Well, Daniel didn't care. His relationship with God was more important than anything that they could do to his flesh. So He kept on praying. They told on him. They ratted him out. And so now in Daniel 6.16, it says, The king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. (laughs) Not just one lion, but the den of hungry lions. The king said to him, See, the the king loved Daniel. Those other guys tricked the king into doing this. He says, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you and a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Oh, yeah? (laughs) No one can rescue Daniel just because you put a roll of stone in front of it? Our God is good at rolling away stones. (laughs) He's good at at bringing back to life things that should have died. it doesn't matter what an earthly king says or done or does, our God can always rescue us. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. Because he just he hated what he was having to do to honor his word. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Couldn't sleep at all that night. <laughs> We're talking about sleeping at night, right? This guy couldn't sleep at night, right? Because he was doing wrong. You know, when you're doing right, you should be able to sleep at night. Verse 19 says, Very early the next morning the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered. (laughs) I bet he didn't expect that. He's in a den trapped with a bunch of hungry lions and Daniel answers. And Daniel says, Long live the king! Then he says, My God, my God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. I have to wonder did Daniel get some sleep that night? The king didn't, but I bet Daniel was down there, probably used one of those lions as a pillow. Probably snuggled up with a bunch of lions down there. <laughs> it's crazy. He says, I've not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel should be lifted up from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Not a scratch. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they went into the fiery furnace. Didn't even come out smelling like smoke. What happened in that case? God came in there and got in there in the fire with them. In this case, the angels went in there and shut the mouths of these lions for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. That's a lot of people. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Those same lions that that Daniel was snuggling up with and getting a good night's rest, they tore these other people up before they even hit the ground. God is able He's able to differentiate from the wicked from the righteous. He's able to do what he wants to do. Before I got saved, you know, I told you many times I was, you know, I was a basket case. I was angry at the world and wanting to fight and subject to road rage and everything else. So I get this bright idea, you know, being on a hair trigger like I am, you know, I, I think I should get me a gun <laughs> just to add more danger. to. But I went and got me a gun and I stu- got a concealed carry permit and all that stuff, man, I was like a donkey on the edge, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be in the same county with me. You guys didn't know me back then, but, I, you know, I was always watching my back, and I was trying to pl- play like I was some uh, detective or something. You better watch out. There's probably a bunch of them out there like that right now that don't know God and carrying pistols on them. <clears throat> but you know what? Once I got saved... I mean, almost immediately after I got saved and realized Jesus' love, I didn't want to shoot anybody at all. I, I just lost all desire to shoot somebody. I even gave my pistol to my dad. Well, I tried to give it to him. He ended up giving me some money because he, he wouldn't take anything as a gift. But I tried to give my pistol that I love so much to my dad just because I was so excited about Jesus. And I wasn't, I wasn't in fear any longer. You know, I wasn't scared somebody's going to rob me or somebody's going to shoot me. or, or I'm, I wasn't looking around every corner, you know, paranoid about life. And that's the way you get. When you're doing wrong, you think everybody else is doing wrong. And you're paranoid and you can't sleep at night and you're pulling your hair out and you're in the midst of darkness. And so sure you want to get a gun. But once I got saved, I didn't want a gun anymore. I just stopped being afraid. In fact, I was willing to die if it came down to it before I'd want to shoot anybody. Well, maybe not that. I still will shoot. No. <laughs> <laughs> Philippians one twenty says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, and whether I live or die. For me, to l- living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Do you understand what Paul's saying? This is a man who has grown so close to the the Lord that he's not afraid of physical death at all. In fact, he welcomes it. He is to the point in his relationship with Jesus, he said, It's better for me. I'm in a straight betwixt these two options. Look, I would just rather go on and be with the Lord. You know? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. The end of the Bible. You know, he's ready to go. But he says, if it's better for your sake that I stay, I will. And so he's going to live out his life here. But he is not afraid of death. And 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says, When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, all of our life we've been, we've been subject to bondage. To the fear of death, the Bible says. All of our life, we have been afraid to die. All of our life. And even as Christians, many are still afraid of the process of dying. Afraid to die. What's it going to be like? But you just haven't came to that place where you have died to yourself completely. And I haven't either. We're all in a process. But the closer I get to, to the Lord and the more I believe what I preach and what I read in the Word of God, the less I care about what happens to me. You know, when it's my time, it's just my time. I, I just, It's just a promotion. You know, a, a, the death of a saint should, should be a celebration. It's a home going. You get to see Jesus face to face, reunite with people from the past, your loved ones. That it made it to heaven. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Look, he's given you power. And he's given you love. And that, once again, it's getting back into your heart, right? That's where that love emanates from your heart. He wants you to live out of the love, not out of the fear. And a sound mind. You have to have a sound mind to do it because the mind is the battlefield. The mind is the one that's going to get you into all kind of error and get you over into the fear. So he gives you a sound mind and he gives you a heart full of the Scriptures and the promises of God and the love for God that shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, the Zoe life of God has been put on the inside of you and he wants you to live out of that. With power. Live out of here. That's where the green grass and the still waters are. And then, another way we, we live like that is to remember that God, our God, is sovereign. When I, When I hear that said, I'm like, yeah, but... You know, God, it's not God's will that everything everything happens is not God's will. You know, little children being abused and those kind of things is clearly not God's will. But God set parameters in the motion. And you understand, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You know. And and so there's there's laws, there's framework that God has put into place. And, and that's the way what we live within. It's the sin of mankind. It's the enemy and stuff that perverts things and turns things wicked. And those kind of things happen within that parameters. And, and death rules and reigns here on the earth now. And that's why we're trying to get everybody eternal life, so they can come out of the darkness of death. But, but while it's still going on, until Jesus comes back and makes all things new, Death is the last thing to be taken out from under, to be put under his feet. Death is the last thing to be put under his feet. So we're still in a, a crooked and a perverse world, and not everything that happens is God's will. But he is a sovereign God, and he can intervene, and he can do anything he wants to do. John 19.1 says this. He's talking about Jesus. John 19.1, if you want to turn there. I'll give you a second. <clears throat> then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. If you saw the passion of the Christ, it was probably pretty realistic how he almost got beat to death. Then the soldiers wove a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him, teasing him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here's the man. And when they saw him, the leading priest and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, But our law says he ought to die, for he called himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. You see, his wife had already told him, Don't mess with that man. Pilate knew that they were doing this out of jealousy. And, man, he got himself in a bad position here because the, the Jewish leaders are stirring up all the mob. And you know the story. And now they're saying that he's calling himself God. And Pilate's thinking, what if he really is, you know? So he took Jesus back to the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. God's sovereignty look you got to understand whatever comes in your life God has allowed now you have a part to play you have a response to that there's a human response to whatever happens but you got to understand God is ultimately in control and even if it seems completely unbearable unrighteous it, it doesn't make sense This horrible situation that you're in And say you died in that condition, it just seems so unjust, so wrong. How could God let that happen? Look, he's going to make all things right in the end. There will not be one thing left undone when the the books are all finished. He's going to make it all all right. When you get to heaven, you won't be worried about what happened on this little earth, except in the... (laughs) except for wishing that you had taken him more seriously so you'd have more rewards in heaven. See, God is going to make all things new. Every hurt and injustice ever done to you or whatever, he he knows all that. There's good records about everything. Bad news is good records written about everything we've done. But everything is going to be made straight when you get to heaven. And in his sovereignty... it ought to bring us some comfort because he's not going to allow us to be tempted more than we're able. He's going to make a way of escape for us, a way that we can bear up under it. He wouldn't put it on you if he didn't think that you could handle it. And so whatever God has for us, I'm not saying embrace terrible situations or whatever, but embrace God through the terrible situations and know that he is sovereign. Just like Jesus said, Pilate, it's not you. It's not those Roman p- soldiers. It's not the Jewish people out there yelling crucify me. Nobody here would have power over me except that my father gave it to him. So know this, that God is in control. And if you know the promises of God, how much he loves you, you know he's got you that you can make it through whatever circumstances you find yourself in. When I was young, I used to often get out of school about 3 o'clock. My mom wouldn't get home till 5, and I've told this story too. I would sit there and wait, and look. you know, around about 4.45. I was looking out the window to see if mom was driving up about 4.55. I was, I was just sitting there in the window waiting. If it got to be after 5 o'clock, my heart start pounding. Where's mama? Where's mama? And I'll be I must, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. I should have been over that, but I'm waiting on mama to get home, you know. I don't know why. If she was ever late, boy, I'd start calling. And that was back four cell phones, you know, you had to catch them somewhere. And uh, But once mama got home, I stopped worrying. I became fearless again. Once mama was there, I was good. I didn't have a care in the world, I uh, had strength and confidence. <coughs> even even the boundaries that she gave me, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you can't go here, you got to be home by now. The rules and regulations, they were they were just a boundary to keep my world manageable. And kids act like they don't want boundaries, but parents they do. They'll pro- they'll Promise and swear up and down and they don't want you to tell them what to do. That's their rebellious nature. But deep on the inside, if you let them have their way, it's like a little kid in this big old world and they don't know where they're at and they get lost. And fear takes grip of their heart. They, that's why God says train them up. Teach them. Give them rules and regulations. Keep them in, in within boundaries so that they feel safe and secure. Because a kid without boundaries is lost out there. And I knew my mom had told me rules and regulations, and I didn't follow most of them. But since they were there, they still made me feel better. I I knew where to come back to when she wasn't looking, you know. But the thing about it was when she got home, I wasn't alone. And that's big. Just, Just having somebody there that you know is in charge, that's big. So that you don't feel like you're alone, and you don't feel like that anybody is in control. John 10, 27, talking about sheep and shepherds, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anybody else. Who's more powerful than God? The Bible says, If God be for you, who can be against you? And he's saying right here that that he has you. And even more than that, my father has you in his hands, and no man can pluck you out of my father's hands. No man can snatch you from my father's hand. The father and I are one. So in God's sovereignty, in the the long and tall and short of things, he's got you. No matter what comes your way, he's got you. You are held. You're not alone. So how do I calm my fears? I'm 50 years old, a man still with fear. What weaklings we are as humans. You'd think we'd outgrow things, but I'm a 50-year-old oh, sissy in many regards. You know, I still have fears. You know, before you do do a funeral or something, your heart starts, you know, like I never spoke before or something. You know, you get put in situations or whatever. Now, Now, my fears now have changed over the years used to it have been if I had to raise my hand in class you know I'd be afraid but now yeah, I can teach the class but there's, there's still just different levels of fear that we get to right but I have to remind myself that I am what I am by the grace of God I often do that anytime before I minister to jail or minister here or whatever God you called me to this you know you must equip me for it or else you wouldn't have sent me I am what I am by your grace. And so I, I begin to acknowledge my weakness, but in doing so, I don't leave it there. I acknowledge his strength. And I remind myself of all the times before that he rescued me from the, from the lions and the soldiers and the diseases and my own stupidity half the time, you know. All the things that God has done for me in the past encourages me that he's still got me even when my, my challenges may be bigger than they were before. And I remember that whatever happens, God allowed, whether it's just to teach me, to, to grow me. You understand, like I said, this is all a test. And when you're in school, what happens? You get to the ninth grade, you're tested at a certain level. You get to the 10th, 11th, 12th grade, you get harder test. And as we grow older, I'm starting to see when am I going to graduate? When I go to heaven. All of this is a test. And we're learning, learning, learning. Well, why? Why don't we just enjoy this life down here? Why don't we just take a break? Because we're here with purpose. This, only on this side will we win any souls. Because after this is over, it's over. Then we'll have all eternity to enjoy rewards and rest and everything else we want to do. But God is strengthening you. He's allowing you to go through the storms. He's building your faith. And if you want to uh, be successful and you want to be able to endure the hardships and still lie down at night and get sweet sleep and still know that your, your heart runs still with still water and that your shepherd's leading and guiding you, then you got to do these things. you got to live out of your heart, and you you got to, got to grow, grow closer to Him. The problem for many people is they, they endure harder trials, and they're not up for it. They, they, they lose their relationship with Jesus. I've known you know, pastors and such that uh, get so involved in the work of the ministry that they lose their relationship with Him, and they can stumble and fall in those cases. So we must always remember Whatever happens, God is sovereign, and most importantly, I'm never alone. We're never alone. Man, when we begin to feel like we're alone in this thing, that's when the fear comes back, and we lose our faith, and that's when we fall to pray to the devil. God will never leave us or forsake us. And I think of Jesus, and I know when that day comes that I'll have to carry my cross give me strength when I have to take up my cross and follow him and it feels like I've been on the whipping post and we have to suffer in this life that I may know him and the power of his resurrection but also the fellowship of his sufferings yes we're going to suffer down here for righteousness sake we're going to suffer we're going to work hard We're like, Paul said, we're like the apostles. We're like the ones at the end of the parade. Everybody else is having a good time, eat, drink, and be merry. And we're like the prisoners coming in in shackles and chains that everybody's making fun of. Why don't don't y'all relax and stop all this witnessing stuff and just carry on with your life and just enjoy life and build you a big mansion and be like everybody else and have you a nice yard and all these things? Well, because we are but ours is in heaven. We're doing all those things. We're saving up treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt and doesn't grow rusty and thieves don't break forth and steal. We're doing it for an eternal reward. We got our eyes on something different than the world does. And it it enables us, that eternal perspective enables us to have still waters in our heart. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. And I believe what Apostle Paul was saying is, you can't kill somebody that's already dead. Don't get in fear about this life, because you should have already died to this life. Jesus said, if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find eternal life. But if you hold on to this life, you'll just end up losing it. So we must begin to die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. In dying to ourselves, we get to the place where this life isn't what it's all about. And we're willing to lay down our life, if need be, for our brothers. No greater love has any man than that than he lay down his life for his friends. 2 Timothy 4.6, the Apostle Paul, he explains it. He says, as for me, My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. I don't know what you want to be able to tell God when you get to heaven. But to say, my life was poured out as an offering for you. Not to come sheepishly, hey Jesus... Don't hit me. (laughs) You know, because we're scared of the way we behaved and the way we lived our life, how we were selfish and all. But to be able to say, my life has already been poured out as an offering. The time of my death is near. This is his second letter to Timothy. This is the last letter that he wrote. So he knows what he's talking about. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. He said, I fought I finished, and I remained. I fought, I finished, and I remained. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's us. The same prize available to all who will fight, finish, and remain faithful my god i don't know about you but he maketh me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters that's all i got thanks for listening to the podcast today we hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out god's word